The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. It's a little cold in here today, isn't it? Suck it up. In my family, we play a game. Who can turn the furnace on last? By family, I mean my whole family, extended family. And you see people start to bow out about this time. Not me. We cheat a little at our house, so we do have a fireplace. And so we could always use that, but no. It is cool in here. I just want to recognize that it's cold, so you don't have to tell me after. It was cold. I get it. I know. We haven't turned the furnace on yet. I'm sure we will soon. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, still together, uh, continuing in this section on unity that Paul is talking about. After talking about all the great truths of God, of what God has done in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he starts to talk about how it is is important for us as the body of Christ to be unified together, to be unified in Christ, and how that that plays out. And so we're still in that section. Uh, Today we'll be in verses 7 through 10. But you remember in verses one through three, he talked about things that we can do, things that we need to do as believers, as those who've been saved by God's grace through faith, that these are what you do. And he says words that we're not too happy with, but it's what should be characteristic of us as Christians, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Having this real desire as the church to be bonded together by the Spirit and peace is very important for us in order to stay unified. And then last week we saw that as if Paul really knows how we act as doers, as people who like to go and do things, he pulled us back and in verses four through six said, remember, remember this, the real reason we are unified together as the church is because of God of what God has done. And so we spent time looking at that. And if you recall, he says that the Father creates the family, the Lord, Jesus gives us faith, gives us baptism, gives us hope, and how the Spirit then works within the body of Christ. And so the same, the same God that saved you of your sins, that forgave you of your sins, whatever those sins were, wherever you were in your life, whatever place it was, is the same God that saved me. And that's what brings us together. That's what bonds us together in great unity, is that it is the same God that we create who has done this through Christ, through the work of his son. And so today, as we get to verses 7 and 10, you may think as we read this and at first glance that, man, this seems odd that this is what Paul starts to talk about. And what Paul's going to begin saying to us as we, as we read this, he's starting to point out, yes, we are united together. But Paul understands this also. We're not all the same. We're not not all the the same people here. God has given us all different gifts. He's given us different talents, different abilities, different personalities. He's given us all these different things, and they are to be used within the church together as we are unified together. In fact, God can use our differences for for his glory for his honor, for for his praise. And he wants to do that, and he does do that. And we also will see, as we get this look at this together, that God gives us these gifts simply because he alone can give us these gifts. 
He is the conquering Savior. He is Lord of all, and he is the one who gives these gifts out to us. He alone, God alone, is omnipresent. It is only God who can be present everywhere, all the time, in order for his desires, his plans, his will to be accomplished. Only God can do that. And he uses us as the church, gives us different skills, gives us different abilities, gives us different talents. And it's amazing that he allows us to be able to work together for his glory and for his purposes. So look at verse seven, verse seven here. We'll read through verse 10 together as we continue in this little section here on unity. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lowest regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So they said at first glance, this seems maybe like a peculiar little section uh, in here, because if you, if you keep reading on and you see where we'll be next week, he starts to talk about these gifts where he says, I gave some to be apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, all these different things, all this different work, right, for the training and equipping of the saints. And we're going to get to that. But there's this little section here that does seem a little different. Well, in verse seven, Paul says, he starts talking about grace. He starts talking about gift. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I think there's a pretty common understanding, and I think we can all agree on this together, that there is a sense of common grace that we see God pour out to all mankind. There seems to be a love, a compassion, a grace that he gives to everybody, not just his church, but, but to all people. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, I have a lot of verses this morning. They should be on the screen. Uh, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Now it's talking about Christ there, but the very end, I, I really want to key in on that, that all in him, all things hold together together. God is the creator, and we also like to say he is the sustainer of everything. And it is God who does that. God sustains all life all the time. And we see this grace that God gives to all people that they breathe, that they live, that they walk, that they have any health at all. We see a grace given to all mankind that yet again this morning, the sun comes up. That, that it all works out. You know, maybe, maybe you guys like science and you like to study that. And I remember as a kid, I loved studying about the planets and how all of that functioned and how big all those things were. That all functions and works because God lets it function and work. It was God's plan for it to work that way. It's God's plan for the earth to be tilted just this much, to spin at this speed. And it's by his good grace that he lets that keep happening. And he lets it happen for all people. This is apart from his church. It's not some special gift to the church. It's a, it's a gift to all people. And God does this, and he continually is showing his grace to an undeserved creation every single day when the sun comes up and every single night when they lay their head down and get some rest. 
God does this over and over and over again for billions of people who will not recognize him as God. Yet he continues to do that. But here in this passage, we see a different type of grace that is given out. Because Paul talks about a grace that is given out through Christ. Now, we do need to know one thing that this grace is not. And I want to separate this. I think this is important. This is not a grace that is given in salvation. Okay, this grace talking here is not a grace of salvation where it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You don't want to take this passage and say, well, obviously, I've got a lot of God's grace in my life. Way more than you. I mean, look at you. You're still a little messed up. You're, you're still a little crazy. Things you say, the things you talk about. I mean, it's obvious God really poured his grace out on me because the measure he gave me is much greater than you. We can't be doing that. We can't be looking at that. That's not what Paul's getting at here. So this isn't, this isn't a grace of, of salvation that is being talked about. And Paul talks about this in other areas to prove this point. Colossians 1, 18 to 23. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, we see here at salvation, the grace that God pours out in your life, this grace of salvation, it, it presents you holy and blameless before God, me and you. We're holy and blameless before God and that is, that is complete it is final. In John 1.16, it says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. All of us as Christians, as believers who've been saved by his grace, we have received grace upon grace. So I cannot say I have been saved at a greater cost than you. You cannot say you've been saved at a greater cost than me. See, this is somewhere where we get a little messed up sometimes because we love to hear testimonies of people who come up and they say, oh, as a drug addict, I was a drug lord. I mean, I did this, blah, blah, blah. We love hearing, and God saved me. And we think, oh, the work of God. It was the same work of God that it took to save you. The same, the same you who was maybe raised in church, who really didn't do a lot of bad things. It took the same death by our Savior to save you because your sin, whether you want to believe it or not, is just as damning as those other sins of those people with just these awesome testimonies that we like to hear. It's the same thing. And so we have received this grace. And so what is Paul talking about here then? Well, it seems as if what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the grace that is given when it comes to gifts, talents, abilities, and work within the life of the church that help the church work together as one. As I mentioned, next week we'll see where Paul goes into a list, and it's not a complete list, it's a partial list of some of the things that God calls people to do, and we'll specifically discuss that uh, next week together. But what God has done with the church family is God has organized his church in a way that each member, each member of the body of Christ has a task 
And it is important to the body that that task gets completed, that 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 task gets accomplished. This is a larger section of scripture, but it balances well with this part of of Ephesians, and it'll help us as we think forward uh, for the next couple of weeks. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, and you might want to flip there in your Bible if you have your Bible with you, because it it is a longer uh, section there, and you can see it as a whole instead of just as part on the screen, but it will be up there. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 12 through 27, listen to what Paul says to this church. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That sounds very similar to last week, what we looked at. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, un, our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It really is an astonishing thing to think that this God that we worship, the God that we learn about in Ephesians and all these other places in scripture, that God would organize us together and include us in his plan in order to play a part in his body. Now, I don't know how you treat your body, but you should treat it as something important. You should take care of it. You should should care about it. You know how one little thing in your body goes wrong and it messes everything up, absolutely everything up, doesn't it? It's so frustrating. If you stub your toe, you think you might as well die. It hurts so bad. And it's just a little toe. I mean, it's not even that important, right, of a thing. I hurt my neck a few weeks ago, just like a little thing. It wasn't anything major and still just drives me crazy all the time. Caused me to have headaches, right? It's just so frustrating to have that thing, right, in your body. But our body becomes important to us, every single part, and we want them to function well, and then so much so that we try to, we try to take care of our body. Well, God has loved you so much that he's made you a part of his body, the body of Christ, to actually have a role in it, to actually have a functioning purpose, not just as a spectator, 
Not just to add to the number. Yeah, we just, God just wants a bigger family. No. To actually play a part and a role in the family. And God has put us, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, together as members here on purpose. He's given each of us gifts. He's given each of us different abilities. We have different talents. We have different learned skill sets. We have different amounts of money. We have different amounts of material things. Uh, Some of us are better with some of the fruits of the Spirit than others, right? Maybe you're better at some of them than than I am, but I'm better at others than, than you are. But God has put us together to be able to work together. And the church just simply cannot function if we hoard the gifts that God has given us as individuals. And so as you sit there on all of your skills, on all of your ability, on all of your money, on all of your material things, whatever it is, whatever you're sitting there with right now, if you sit there and hoard it, all you're doing is robbing everybody else in here that you see. You're hurting them. You're minimizing them. That's what's happening. And so we cannot hoard the gifts that we have. But on on the flip side of that, We cannot function if we're unwilling to accept the gifts God has given others. I have to be okay with the fact that they're sitting on much more talent than me. And as they use that talent and that good for the life of the church, I can't sit back and just be disgusted and say, I wish that was me. I'm sick of being an ear. I want to be an eye. I don't even feel like a a part of the body here because I'm not an eye. I'm just an ear. You see, Paul uses those examples and we think of them as foolish and silly. But it really does sit and resonate in our heart. I wish I was singing. You know how good I am at singing? Do you know how much of a blessing I would be to the church if they would just hear me sing? How passionate I am about that? Right? We, we think that I can do better than him. I could do better than her. Man, who's cleaning this place? I could do better than that. Right? We, we start to think about these different things. Or you could look at it in a different light as well. Something happens in your family and you guys are hurting. And it's hard for you to accept gifts as people want to give them to you. They want to minister to you. They want to love on you. They want to care for you because you are a part of the body of Christ with them. They want to make you dinner. Maybe they want to give you a check because they know that things are just going rough for you. And they want to care for you. You say, no, 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 no. I can't accept that. No, I'm not willing to take this. No, I will not be a part of that. Why? Why? You're part of their body and they love you and they see you hurting and it hurts them. It hurts them that you are hurting and they want to love you and they want to care for you. See, sometimes we hoard these things that God gives us, but other times we're just unwilling to accept the gifts that God has given us by using our brothers and sisters in Christ. So sometimes we have to swallow our pride to allow people to minister to us. Sometimes we have to force jealousy out of our heart because jealousy finds its way to creep in and it just starts to rot, it seems, at our soul. It rots away as we're just so jealous because of what they're doing and I don't get to do. But God has organized the church in a way, and Paul is very adamant of this, and he talks about this so often, that the church is centered on Christ. It's not centered on the pastor. It's not centered on the members. It is centered on our head, Jesus Christ. Notice, notice at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 of what I read, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
right? You are the body of Christ. He is the head. He is the center. He is the focus. It is his body, not ours. And we have to remember that it is Jesus Christ himself who gave up his body so that we could be a part of his body. He did that. You didn't do that. Pastor Tim didn't do that. Pastor Roy didn't do that. Pastor Damon didn't do that. Name whatever pastor you love or want to put your hat on. They did not do that for you. Jesus did it. Jesus did that. And it is Jesus that brings us together. It is Jesus that comes and unites us together. He alone is the one who is worthy of our praise and our worship. And the Bible tells us this also. He alone is the one who gives the gifts out. How? According to his own measure. Not yours, not mine. I mean, if it was me giving out gifts, I'd be like, I'd like to be the one sitting on a lot of money. Jesus, could you, could you dole that out over here? It seems like it'd make life a lot easier. Just keep giving it over here. That's not my job. That's, that's not my task. That is what God does. So when you think about that, whatever you as a Christian have, whatever it is you do, whatever gift you bring, it is only yours because of Christ's goodness to you. That's it. It's because of the great grace that he has poured out on you. And those things that he has given you are important to the body of Christ. It is important here in this church, in our church family. It's very important. It's important to our health as we, as we labor together. And so it's important for us to make sure as individual Christians that we are coming together using the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given us for his glory, not our own. For his glory, not not ours. You know, it's one of the hard things. I, I've told you guys this before. It is hard to get volunteers nowadays. Uh, things have just changed, right? Right? Times have changed. It wasn't too long ago. People actually retired. They retired when they were in their 50s or lower 60s, and they would retire and they'd still want to do things. And churches usually were a prime spot for that. They would come and they'd be a part of that. But you know what? Nobody retires anymore. Everybody works a really long time. They just, they just keep working. Or when they finally do retire because their kids are both working, they're watching grandchildren. They're babysitting. They don't have the same freedom that they had uh, in the past. And so it's hard to find volunteers, but it gets really frustrating at times as you're trying to gather volunteers who you know would be excellent at something. Just excellent. I'm going to pick on teachers because I have one in my house. And so I don't know. It's just easier, I guess, for me. But there's a lot of teaching that goes on in this building and in this room. And we have to go through curriculum and we're looking for people who can help do this and help do that. And oftentimes you, you want to reach out to teachers. Could you help us? You paid thousands of dollars to be trained to do this. Could you, could you help us to know if this is right, if this is wise, how we should handle this? And a lot of times what you get back is I work with kids. I don't want to work with them in my free time when I'm at church. And you're like, wait a second. This is your gift. Like this is, this is something you're good at. I'm not, I'm not good at it. Now I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm just using that as an example. There's, there's other things as well. Some of you are good with finances. Hey, would you mind being on the stewardship team? <sighs> now, I don't want to deal with money. I do it all, all the time. Hey, you own your own business. You might, be, you might be good at leading a small group at your home because you know how to organize. You know how to plan. Would you be willing to organize at home? I don't want those people in my house. <laughs> 
okay, <laughs> right? I mean, I can keep going down the list of different skills and sets, but that is oftentimes what is met. And you think, do you think you're a good teacher because you're awesome? You're a good teacher because Christ has allowed you to be a good teacher. You think you're good with money because you're just so smart and you're a genius? God made your brain. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Every good thing you have is because of him. And it is your job to give him glory, yes, in your job. And I trust that you are doing it. Teachers, I hope you are glorifying God every second of every school minute. I do, I I hope you are. And, And that's what we're called to do as individual Christians and whatever your job is. But God also allows us to use these talents and these abilities for the sake of the church that he puts us with in order to glorify him in that work. And so we have to be willing to do that. What we see in verses eight through 10, and we're gonna spend a little bit of time here, that Jesus gives these gifts simply because he alone is the one who is able to do it. You'll notice on your bulletin this morning on the front page, there's a a psalm. And Paul, this this is the psalm that Paul quotes here. It's Psalm 68, verse 18. And I want us to look at it together, but it's very, it's actually different. There is a difference between this and what Paul says. And so we have to figure out why. Psalm 68, 18 says this, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, Paul changes the words a little bit. Because he says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Give gifts, receive gifts. There's a, there's a big difference there. And Paul changes that. So we notice this. And why we have to, have to ask the question, kind of why? Well, in Psalm 68, what is being expressed here is David is writing about how the kingdom of God and the, and the kingdom that God has blessed David with, how there have been battles won, there have been wars won, there was peace uh, much times uh, with his enemies and all this different stuff. And so a lot of times his enemies are coming and paying tribute to David. They're doing this as God is expanding Israel, expanding the kingdom of our, under David, uh, God's chosen, the one after his own heart. And so what Paul does here as he uses David, King David, as a type of Christ. And we've talked about this before when we went through 1 Samuel, when we went through 2 Samuel together. And we see that David here is this type of Christ. And what it does is it shows that the Son of God has come. Right, This one that, that God had chosen, King David, had, had come, but really he's a, he's a type of what is to come because King David is not perfect. King David is not the Savior. We needed something better than King David. And that is what Paul is doing here. And he's saying, what he's saying is, and through Christ, the Son of God has come. The Son of God has descended. He has ascended. He has crushed all his enemies. And now, instead of receiving gifts from all these people, he is doling the gifts out. Why? Because everything is his. See, not everything was David's. They had to come and give David gifts, and David would receive these things. But not so with the Son of God. Jesus came. Right? He lived a perfect life. He died. He was crucified. He rose again. And then the very important thing of his ascension, he ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because all things are his. All things are his. He's the perfect God-man. What we see here in this passage, we'll get to that more, that only Jesus can do that. But here in this passage, it says, he alone descended. 
There seems to be some confusion and some differing of minds on the meaning of this passage of what does it mean that he descended? What does it mean that he ascended? And this part of descended, some people would say uh, that what this is referencing is that Jesus in his death, in between his death and his resurrection, that he went into hell after his death. Some take this even a little further. I'm not exactly sure where they get this. I tried to figure it out, but couldn't really grasp it. That not only did he go to hell, but he went to hell preaching the gospel and he was trying to witness to people and then he would lead the Old Testament saints out of hell into paradise with him. I couldn't find really where that came from and I don't think that these interpretations are correct here. I think what Paul is pointing out is that Jesus simply, I say simply, it's a big deal, that Jesus submitted himself to the lowest reaches that he could. Now, what does that mean? It means this. That Jesus, being fully God, catch that, put that in your head. Jesus being 100% God would wrap on flesh and come here. He would come here and experience everything that we experience. All the pain, all the hurt, all the troubles, all the everything that comes along with being on this earth. For some reason, Jesus would submit himself to that And he would descend here on this earth. And not even that, he would die. So he would experience death and be buried in the grave in the lowest parts of the earth. God would do this for us. Now, oftentimes we minimize this. We we minimize all that Jesus gave up in order to come to this earth to be our savior. We do. We We think this place is pretty good. Ah, there could be worse things you could do, have to come here on earth. I mean, there's a lot of beauty on the earth. There's a lot of good things on the earth. There's a lot of good food, a lot of good things to drink. There's good people on the earth. Can't be all that bad. But when you think about all that Jesus would give up in order to wrap himself in flesh and not to come and hang out with us, not to come and be your friend, not to come and be a celebrity or a star, but actually to come and the Bible tells us to be homeless, to have nowhere to stay, and to know that the end goal was death, was a cross. Jesus would do this and he would do this willingly. He willingly gave himself up, his life up. Why? So that you and I could actually have life and have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus gave it all up. He descended, but we know that he also didn't, didn't just descend to the earth, but he ascended. And so in his descension, yes, we see Jesus didn't remain here. But in Acts chapter one, verse nine through 11, we read of him ascending. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, Christ's work here was done. And what they had witnessed is they had witnessed him ascending to the right hand of the Father to reign forever where Jesus currently reigns. Where Jesus currently is at the right hand of the Father, mediating on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, it's one of the four best verses in all of Scripture. And it talks about this. It really wraps up the work of Christ 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the head of our body, Jesus. This is the one that unites us together. He alone sits in all authority and power. He sits mediating, as I said, on our behalf to the Father so that when you pray, so that when I pray, the Father actually hears us and cares for us. Why? Because we are his son's body. He's made us holy and blameless in his sight. We are the church. We are his. It says in our thing in Ephesians that he alone fills all things with Christ's deity, with the fact that him being fully God, being proven by his resurrection, by his ascension. We know that he is fully God. And because of this, he alone is the one truly to be the word omni. When we talk about the attributes of God, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, he alone, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. Only Christ can be this. And so it is him, right? It's through him that has been fully declared to fulfill all his plans, right? He is able to do that. All of his plans, all of his thoughts, all of his workings, all of his desires. And it has been declared by Christ that he is going to do this. It's amazing to think about this through his church, through you and through me. As he doles out by his grace, different gifts, different talents, different abilities, the work continues to happen. Jesus continues to work through us with all authority and all power that he has. He works through you and through me as he puts us together as the church. That's an amazing thing to think about. It really should make you feel pretty special if you're a part of the body of Christ, if you've been saved by his grace. What an important thing he has given us. Paul, when speaking of God's plan and salvation, would say it this way in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. He's, he's talked all about God's, the way God saves. He's talked about Israel. He's talked about all these different things. And it's like Paul is just welling up inside because at the end of chapter 11, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It does us well, church, to remember this. All the things we have, all the different gifts, talents, abilities that you have, that you brag about, that you talk about, whatever it is, it comes from him. And the reason you have it as a Christian is for him to receive glory for it, 
not you, but for him to receive glory for it and for the church to benefit from it, for me to benefit from it, from you to benefit from it. And we do that together. What an amazing thought that God continues to use you, that God continues to use me to unite us together. Why? So that the church can be light in a dark world. We have that privilege here in Monroe and in the surrounding areas. We have the privilege to be glorifying God to our community, to be light in a dark world. We have the privilege to know the truth, to have the truth, and to tell people there is truth, and this is what it is. His name is Jesus. We have the ability to do that in a loving way, and it's amazing to think that God actually works through that so that people sometimes will say, I believe that. What you're saying, I believe. I believe this to be true. I'm gonna give my life to it fully. God uses us in that awesome way to be able to serve him. Let us, as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, be faithful to use our gifts, to use our abilities, to use our resources to glorify him in everything we say and everything we do. Let's bow together. Let's pray so we can have a time to respond to the word of God that we heard this morning. God, I thank you for the book of Ephesians. I'm thankful that we have it. Thankful for the truths that we see in it. God, as we've been going over together of unity in this chapter of chapter four, God, I'm thankful as we get to this part, we see that you are the one who gives out gifts and gives out abilities, gives these things. And God, it's only by your grace. It's not stuff that we deserve. And so God, in this room and this size, the amount of people here, there's all different kinds of levels of abilities, skills, talents. Uh, there's people here who are, who are just so friendly and personal. There's other people who, who struggle with that. But God, you, you've just given us all these different dispositions and things. God, as a church family, help us to use it for your glory, your honor, and your purposes. Help us not to be selfish, to hoard our abilities just so that we can use them for our benefit or in areas just that we want them to be used. But God, I pray that we'd use all these gifts for your glory. So God, help us to be willing to repent of sin in our life in areas maybe where we've been selfish. Help us to repent of sin in our life where we've not allowed others in our church family to minister to us because of pride or whatever it may be. God, we, we are part of the body simply because of you. And so God, we want to be able to grow. We want to be more like Jesus each and every day as individuals. God, as a church family, we wanna be faithful to you here in Monroe. We wanna be faithful to our church members, to love on them well, to care for them. And we wanna be unified together because God, it's a unified church that you use. And God, we wanna be used by you. So God, work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our souls, work in our life. God, as we sing this song here in a moment, help us to respond to your word how we should. Maybe it is repentance of sin. God, maybe it's just laying things down and saying, God, show me what I need to be doing or maybe what I'm holding back. God, maybe there's others here this morning who are not a part of the body of Christ. 
They've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. God, I pray that you would help them to see their need for that this morning as well. God, help us to worship you now through this song and to respond to your word how we should, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing church. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.